looking right now at the habits of a loving heart. And Curly mentioned it. We don't, he kind of joked about it, but we really do have to grow and learn new habits to be more like Jesus, to be Christians. Kind of our natural inclinations, some of those are kind of like Jesus, and some of them aren't. You know, there are people who are naturally patient, well, they, but they may be a terrible gossip. I mean, they'll sit there and listen all day because their patient is the day is long, but <laughs> then they're going to go and spread it, you know what I mean? And there's, you know, we've all got both our strengths and our weaknesses, but uh, some of those things are, they, they've almost come by default, and we've never really challenged them. We've never really looked in the mirror and, and looked at ourselves and said, you know, I've always been like that, but I don't think that's an excuse anymore. You know, that's the, just the way I am is just an excuse. It's really one of the weakest excuses that we come up with, but we do it all the time. Okay? We, well, that's just the way I am. I don't like blah, blah, blah. Well, that's good. Confession is the beginning of changing the sin in your life, but that's probably not how you meant it when you said it. And me too. It's, it's just... Bad habits are hard to break, and we know that, and sometimes we're just afraid to even try. Uh, we're, we're afraid that we won't make it, or we've, we've just told ourselves ahead of time we're not going to make it. We don't even fear it anymore. We just don't think we can do it because that's just the way I am. But that's not just the way Jesus intended us to be, and that's a good thing. That Well, uh, I know Alan had asked the question, you know, what things don't change? Anytime you ask that, people are always going to say what? People. And what's always interesting about that to me is that that's unchristian. Say, whoa, are you sure it's unchristian to say people don't change? Think about it for a second. What's at the core of the gospel? What's one of the things that we have to do that must be present in our lives if we are actually going to know the grace of God? It's that R word. It's one of them we don't like, right? Repent. All repent means is change. If people cannot change, if people never change, you have wasted your morning already, and I don't even know why I'm up here. Now, we need to believe that, and we need to live that, and we ought to correct that when we see it. Because the core of the gospel is people can change by the grace of God, by the Spirit of God, and by the Word of God. And that that's a given. It's not even to be challenged. Because when Jesus came, God in the flesh among us, He said, you know what I'm here to do? I'm here to save you and to change you. And so if we don't believe that's possible, there's a hole in our gospel. Something's just not quite right. And I know people, a lot of times the people who say that believe very strongly that that's actually possible. But it's a habit that we say that. It's a habit that we think that. But it's a habit that actually undermines sometimes our outreach and our evangelism and our, our, our effectiveness in helping each other to be better disciples. Because we resign to the fact that you can't change and I can't change. We say, well, people can't change. We're, they're just always going to be the same not true. We have a whole book here full of people who were transformed. That's big heavy-duty change. Not just little habits here and there. We're transformed by the life of Christ and by the grace of God. And we're here this morning. I am. I, I think you are too for that very reason. So that, that's one thing. Uh, this morning we're going to look at this idea of uh, envy and resentment versus rejoicing. It comes down to this basic thing. Rejoicing will always be greater than resentment. It will always be greater than bitterness. It will always be greater than... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? It was right there. Resentment, bitterness, whatever you want to put in the list. Is that a face or is that... That's horrible. What a, what a grimace. Uh, but that's the way sometimes, and, and if we're really good at jealousy and really good at envy, we're feeling what's on this side but we're pretending we're on that side, aren't we? 
and, and that we have to watch out for. Envy is something we don't, we don't really talk about it very often. We don't talk about how dangerous it is to be envious of other people. And envy is, is a bit heavier duty than jealousy. Jealousy is just kind of... Jealousy is in and of itself, there is good jealousy and bad jealousy. Okay? God is jealous of us when we go chasing after idols. He's, cha- he's jealous of us whenever we go chasing after things that are destructive to ourselves. So there's a godly jealousy, but there's also a very unhealthy one that's like a subset of envy. So we'll just start out making sure we're on the same page here. Envy is a feeling of discontented or resentful longing aroused by someone else's possessions, qualities, or luck. So we, get, we, we see somebody else who has something we don't have. They're in a position that we're not in. They, they get glory that we don't get, or they get lucky, and, 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 and we don't. You know, uh, we were just talking, ah, he's upstairs, but he might be listening on the earpiece. We'll find out. But David Sherrill just won from the Red Cross a Browning shotgun. And three of you just sinned thinking about that for a second. You know, my goodness, i got to go home to a Mossberg made of plastic and this guy's got a free browning. Yeah, well, that's just the way it is. You can give him a hard time on the way out the door. But this is, this is you know, you see what somebody else has and immediately you go, well, mine's not as good as I thought it was yesterday. Isn't that the way it is? You ever done that with a car? You have a car, runs great, gets great mileage, it's comfortable, quiet, going down the road, you hadn't had a problem with it. And then the commercial comes on, right? And what do you see? A brand new 1976 Chrysler Cordoba with fine Corinthian leather. I'm, that's two sermons in a row with Ricardo Montalban. Uh, how, where else does this happen? Uh, but you see that car and nobody's jealous. Then maybe that's what you're driving. But... You know, even, even, even that, there were people who would watch that and go, man, I wish I had one of those. I don't know why, but they thought so. Man, I wish I had one of those. And, and it just automatically kind of makes you discontented with what you do have. You go out to the driveway and you go, well, I just got fabric seats and all this kind of stuff. Yesterday I watched a video. I don't know why I do this. I watched a video on the brand new Bentley Continental GT. Ooh, let me tell you what. The air conditioner knob costs more than a Chrysler Cordoba. That thing is nice. Oh, my goodness. The paint on it, the blue, is awesome. And, and you know, if you're not careful, you'll watch that, and you'll go out there, and you will. You'll look at the little plastic knob on your air conditioner and go, but that one was handcrafted by a man in the middle of England, and this one was made by a machine. And, and just whiny. And you don't even think about that that car is going to be in the shop six times before yours ever even needs an oil change. We become so discontented and so jealous and, and resentful, especially when we know the people. It's worse when it's your neighbor who pulls up in their new car, right? Or whatever it is. And you go, ah, come on. And you want it, don't you? And it just causes all these problems or uh, one time, I, I looked at Beverly and immediately remembered a real estate agent. And I don't know why that would be. But I know a real estate agent in, in, in New York that way more bling, Beverly. We've got to get you a ring. The, we went in to sign this, we went in to sign this, to sign this thing. Carway's like, oh, please no. But the, <laughs> to, to sign something, I don't even know what. I think we were just looking for an apartment. But this lady, I don't know if you remember this, she had this ring 
with this stone on it. I don't even know what it was. It, it, it probably She pulled it out of a lamp at her grandmother's house. I don't know. But the, it was this stone that was so big that instead of being mounted on the, on the ring with those little, whatever you call those little tong things that come up around, there's a name, but whatever those are, instead of being mounted with those, it actually had gold wire all over the stone because it was just this eh, door. Maybe it was an antique doorknob she found in the house she sold. I don't know. But, you know, it's just this ridiculous thing. And I remember looking at it when she was writing because you couldn't help because of all, you know. And she's doing this and thinking, why would you want that? Why? You know, they're just she's probably, probably her poor little finger now does this because it just, you know, just worn out from all the years. And that would look weird, wouldn't it? And why do you want it? And so often, maybe she likes bling. I don't know her heart. Some people, I won't say her, some people will look at that, and it's just because somebody else had one bigger, and they just get, you know, get in line. That happens. You know, one guy builds a house, his brother builds a bigger house, and then they build a bigger house. And it turns out, like Yosemite Sam and Bugs Bunny, just, you know, who has the bigger cannon kind of mess. But it's all rooted in this. There's a discontentment, and that's not fair. There's an inner three-year-old stomping and throwing a fit in the middle of the Walmart aisle inside this person. And it's a bad habit. To get into. And it is a habit. It is a habit we've developed where we look at other people's things and belongings and start to say, that should have been mine. And it, it's destructive and it's toxic and it'll, it'll wipe out our joy and our, our faith in God Himself at times. I've known people who just absolutely wiped out their faith. So, Galatians chapter 5, 19 to 26, if that's too small, uh, grab your Bible. This will be from the ESV. And it is on you version today. I forgot to tell you that, but it is there. Uh, Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Okay, before we go any further, do you notice where he puts envy? Like a list of things? He's in there that's stuff like hatred and anger and all this kind of stuff. Look, look here at it again. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry. Do you think about that? That that's the same, thing, the same level of problem as far as God is concerned. The same destructive, toxic habit as far as God is concerned. As if you went outside and bowed down in front of a stone calf and worshipped it. To God, He says, you know, that's just as bad. It will eat at your soul and be just as deceptive to you as if you were with the golden calf at the bottom of Mount Sinai. Same problem. Really, that is rooted in the same problem, isn't it? There's something I want and I want it now and God's not giving it to me fast enough. It is the same problem as Aaron and the Israelites at the bottom. Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, and then there it is, envy. With drunkenness and orgies and things like these, envy. He says it is that destructive. And he doesn't just say it once. He goes on. He says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's a bad habit, isn't it? There's all kinds of bad habits that you can have. You could, uh, Charlotte showed me the picture from Cotton Patch of chicken fried bacon. Dude, that's got to be a bad habit, okay? I love bacon. I like chicken fried. Even I'm afraid to combine the two. Okay, I saw that the other day. Actually, before you shared it, I had been to Cotton Patch for chicken fried steak. But I, I saw that and I thought, I think that's got to be a line. You know what I'm saying? It ought to come with a gurney. That's what I think. Just go ahead and give you a red carpet out to the parking lot. 
wheel you right in. Deadly, deadly stuff. That, that would be a bad habit, and it's got to be like crack, okay? I think that's probably one of those really dangerous things, and they'll probably be very successful with it. But there are, are bad habits. There are bad habits that are more destructive. Well, I guess more. I don't know. They might be just as destructive as, as some others. Things like drugs and not heedless here, alcohol and, and drunkenness and things like that, that that just can become very destructive and toxic in our lives. And he says... Envy does that. All the blessings. You know, James says every good and perfect gift comes from above. But you can't see them. You're blinded to them. Because all you can see is what you don't have. Or the title that isn't yours. Or the, the accomplishment that you didn't make but that somebody else did. And the worst thing is, it feeds these other things. It feeds the idolatry of I wanted and I didn't get. It feeds dissension and division. I don't like that guy. I don't like that woman. Because, you know, that was supposed to be my dream and they got it instead. And, and, and now I don't get it and they got it. And I don't know why God liked them better. It's ugly. That's what my grandmother would have said. My meemaw would have said, that's ugly. Really fast. And it gets, it's destructive. But, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. He says, part of what we crucify when we follow Christ, part of what we want to leave in the waters when we're baptized into Christ and we die to ourselves, are things like, I'm going to compare myself to everybody else and see if I get what they got. So that stuff has to die. But if we live by the Spirit, verse 25, let us also keep in step by the Spirit. And this is what's interesting. There are three things he says here that he thought were so important he repeated them from that list. He says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another. That's all that divisive, dissentious stuff, envying one another. It was so important. Paul comes back around and says, listen, these three, please, no. We're just looking at envy today, but all three of these, watch yourselves because this will kill you. This stuff will work against the Spirit in your life and draw you back to a life that's just about pleasing the flesh and it'll be toxic and it'll be destructive. Scripture is full of examples of times this happened. In Genesis chapter 4, we had the first murder. And why did the first murder happen? It happened because a brother was envious of his brother, Cain and Abel. Cain uh, kills Abel and, and the whole thing revolved around this. He had offered a sacrifice, Cain had, that was contrary to what God had said he wanted. Now, I know it's early on, and we don't even understand exactly what God had told them that he wanted. We're, we kind of have to do the phone call effect on this. We're getting one side of the conversation. But we know by what happened that Cain had, and Abel had both gotten instructions about what they were supposed to do, and Cain decided he wanted to go another way. When he did, God says to Cain, that's not what I asked for. I'm pleased with what your brother offered. And what God meant by that was, I'm pleased because he was obedient and he did what I asked him to do. That's important because that's not what Cain heard. What Cain heard was, I'm pleased with your brother because I like him better. I'm pleased with your brother because he gave me something better than you. I'm pleased with your brother because he. And that wasn't the way that God was trying to teach him. It's what Cain heard because that's what an envious heart hears. 
It will always be about comparison with somebody else, what they have or what they did or what they accomplished. And so that's the way Cain took it. And Cain let that envy build up in himself to the point that he couldn't see his brother as his brother anymore. He dehumanized his brother. He desensitized himself to the hatred in his own heart that was growing toward his brother, which was resentment. And the sad thing is, the real resentment in Cain's heart didn't have a thing to do with Abel, and it had everything to do with the fact that he hadn't done what he was supposed to do. He had not. And it, rather than deal with what he saw in the mirror, the plank in his own eye, he fed the envy and the hatred and the bitterness and the resentment, and his brother was killed over it. And that kind of stuff happens every day. It happens at the national level. It happens at the personal level every day because we fixate on somebody else's blessing. And sometimes it's like Cain and Abel. You do not have, James says, because you do not ask. And when you do ask, you ask with the wrong motives. That's a Cain and Abel kind of a thing. You know what, why he was telling them that? That whole conversation James has with that church about how you don't have because you do not ask and when you ask, you just ask out of selfish motives so that you can make yourself richer. Before that, the question was, why are there fights and why are there quarrels among you? Why does this stuff happen? Because you want and you don't ask. And when you ask, it was all out of envy and all out of selfishness, but not out of love. He says that's what this breeds. Anger, hatred, dissension. In this case, at the most extreme, somebody lost his life over simple jealousy that could have easily been fixed, that whole situation. Haman and Mordecai in the book of Esther, chapters 3 to 7. We won't read all of this this morning, so that's up there so you can do your homework. But with Haman and, and Mordecai, Haman was a guy who worked for the king. And, of course, Mordecai is Esther's uncle. And Mordecai had, had helped Esther to save the Jewish people. Haman was one of those who was plotting against the Jewish people to basically... He was plotting genocide against them. But he also took things very personally between him and Mordecai. And Mordecai uh, started to actually kind of rise in the estimation of the king. And, of course, already was in a good relationship with the queen because he was her uncle and all of these things. And Haman sees this and he gets so envious, so jealous, that he starts to plot Mordecai's murder. He has a hangman's noose built so high up what was it, like 30 feet, something like that? It was ridiculous. It was just a way to exaggerate. How I don't want you dead, I want you dead, kind of a thing. And so he has this uh, built. And then he talks the king into doing all of these things. Well, it all backfires. Long story short, uh, the king honors Mordecai. Has Haman lead the parade? How... How do you think that felt inside Haman's heart, all full of envy and bitterness and wrath at this point, as he's having to pull him along, treating him like a king himself, as, as he really just wants the guy dead? Still, long story short, in the end, Haman and his plot and all of these things, as they get discovered, as he is shown to be the pompous, and plotting and evil snake-in-the-grass man that he was, Haman is the one who ends up hanging in those gallows. It's destructive, isn't it? Did him no good. But isn't that, we would call that these days, divine justice. It's not that, that God, it, I don't even know if God had to do anything in providence to make that happen. The laws of the way this world are, are set up, I'm talking laws bigger than governments, the ways these things are set up is that very often 
this stuff just boomerangs back on you. It's like a law of the universe that God has set in place. And so often we do. In fact, Jesus called that law, you reap what you sow. Boy, did he. So he hung in the gallows instead of Mordecai. And that's supposed to be a warning to us about the danger of hatred. Just like a man who lives by the sword dies by the sword, the man who lives by hate dies by hate, live by the gallows, die by the gallows. There's a, a lighter version of this caution sign that Jesus gives us in the parable of the vineyard workers in Matthew chapter 20, 1 to 6. And in, in Matthew 20, he tells this parable about these, this owner of a vineyard. He goes out early in the morning and he hires all these workers. Okay, Just like if you were in Fort Worth, uh, sometimes you can see it from the interstate depending on how the construction has you go around, you know. Uh, but you can see day workers out there waiting for people to, to pull up and, and recruit them. Okay, and so this guy goes to a place like that. He gets people in the morning. He goes back out lunchtime. He gets some more. He goes back out in the afternoon, pretty late in the afternoon, and, and hires some more. Well, that started to eat on the people who had been there since 6 o'clock in the morning. So these guys that show up at 3 o'clock are getting the same pay because he said he would pay you so much a day, not per hour. So let's say he said 40 bucks for the day. Well, the guy showing up at 3 o'clock, what's he getting? He's getting $40. You think that didn't run around the water cooler a little bit? You know it did. And people start talking, whoa, whoa wait a minute. You got here when? And what are you getting? Why, have I, why am I only getting $40? I showed up here at 6. What time did you get here? Well, I've been here at noon. What are you getting? $40. Whoa! And they just start getting angry and talking and fighting amongst themselves. They go back to the boss and they say, Boss, this isn't right. I've been here since 6 o'clock this morning. That guy over there just showed up. He's getting the same pay that I am. And the boss says, basically, mm -hmm. which one of us hired you? You did. Which one of us hired him? You did. Who's paying? You are. I think this is all the discussion we need. Next. You know, it just says, basically, listen, it was my place to hire. And if I want to pay that to them, that's what I'm going to pay to them. And what do you think Jesus was trying to get across to us? There's probably several layers of things here. One of them is dealing with envy. God is going to bless everyone who comes to Him. Period. It doesn't matter if they've been a Christian 50 years or 50 minutes. The blessings are going to come. We also know that Jesus said that the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. Because God doesn't look around the world and say, you know what, I don't think you ought to have a house. I don't think you ought to have a car because you're not a Christian. There may be some self-righteous Christians who might want to do it that way, but there's no God in heaven named Jehovah who does it that way. He provides rain and He provides groceries and He provides a house for that guy next door who may be a complete and total heathen and maybe even a jerk. And that's easy for us to start going, well, how come, how come He gets that? I mean, I've been following Jesus and He doesn't even care about Him. That doesn't seem what? Fair. And we start whining, glorified whining. There's one of them in your songbook right there. Tempted and tried. Y'all know I pick on that song on the first verse. But the reason is because what's in there? Farther along, I'll understand. You know what Jesus was saying in Matthew 20? I don't want you to wait that long. I want you to understand that right now. I'm going to bless, and you're going to like it. And it's not all going to just be yours. And if I want to bless somebody who's new, just as much as I bless you, I get to do that because that's who I am. And that's what He does. He was trying to get us to stop looking around at what everybody else has and praise God for what we do. To be thankful and to realize 
that you didn't deserve to show up at 6 any more than they deserved to show up at 3. And that it was a grace at 6 o'clock. And that's what he's trying to get us to see. None of us deserve to be hired by him in the first place. So why are we looking around? He says, just remember that. It's, it's the generosity of your God by which you have anything at all that you have. Not because you showed up, because it's not by our works that we're saved. It's by the grace of God. And that brings us back around to that where we started. So what have we got? That's a part of it. Part of our changing of this habit is to remember what we really have. I'm convinced if we're, if we're sour in our Christianity, it's because we don't know what we have. If we're not spreading the faith, it's because we don't know what we have. We don't understand the grace of God. Or you wouldn't be able to hold us back because it's good what God has done for every single one of us and a tremendous blessing. And, it, and one of those will change the world and one of them won't. Well, one of them already has and it good. So, four things really, really fast that I want to look at that help us say, okay, how do we then change? If I don't want to be the gripey worker at the beginning, if I don't want to be Cain, if I'd rather be able, how do we get the def- different attitude that changes our habit to see in the world around us a little bit differently? First, we start in, in the description of love. In 1 Corinthians 13, 4, love does not envy. It just doesn't do it. So we're going back to the Bob Hope video. Just stop it, right? Don't do it anymore. You, love does not envy. Well, how do I make sure that my love doesn't envy? Start loving your neighbor the way Jesus did. Say, well, that, it seems like everything is the answer is to love your neighbor. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Pretty much the answer to everything is love your God and love your neighbor. The problem is, somebody said, well, do, do we need review on loving your neighbor? Well, are you doing it all yet? I guess we need review. You know, I, I try to learn Spanish, and I use this app a lot. And you know what it makes me do? It makes me go back and do the lessons I've already done. After a few days, it takes away my credit, and I have to go back and do that again. You know what I think? So whoever wrote that knows humans, and I don't like it. So anyway, <laughs> I, was, I was griping last night. It, I had four gold bars, and now it says I have one gold bar. And why? I was preparing for the sermon. That was what Jesus was doing. Anyway, love your neighbor. And, and the reason we keep repeating it is because we still got neighbors that aren't being loved. And we still have habits that sometimes turn back on self more than on Jesus and others. And so we just keep coming back to that. But love doesn't envy. It will never look at the neighbor and say, I, I don't think you deserve to have that. I think that should have been mine. And let me just say something. That's not always... One of the ways in which we struggle with this It's not always some evil intent in our hearts. It's not always idolatry. Satan can sideline us with good things. You know, there have been people who struggled with this because they'd had a miscarriage and for years they were trying to have a kid and they find it really hard to see other people with kids. Sometimes this is just a, a hard thing that hits us in ways we, we don't expect it. Maybe you think you don't struggle with that, and then you do. Or you, you've lost your job, and other people keep getting hired, and you're just not, and you don't know why, and you don't start out with any kind of an evil motive. It just kind of Satan sidelines you. Because he always kicks us when we're down, right? He's always going to use those moments of hardship to try and drag us into his lair. And so... The answer is, keep loving the people that you're tempted to be jealous of. Part of that's going to come more here in a second. Deuteronomy. Let's turn over there right quick. Deuteronomy chapter... We're going to skip to chapter 8, but make you a note of chapter... Or, yeah, chapter 6. <clears throat> overturned. I did it again. There we go. Ah. 8, 10, and 11. You shall eat... 
and be full. He's talking to Israel as they're going into the land. You shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land that He has given you. Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments and His rules and His statutes, which I command you this day. There's two things here that he, he's just hitting on the same thing, saying it different ways. When he says in verse 10, uh, you, you'll eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord. He's reminding us, listen, if you go home today, or you go out today, and you sit down at a table with food on it, who gave it to you? It's like when we're kids, our parents try to teach us this lesson when we, you know, you're sitting there going, but I wanted the Tonka. And instead, you know, you got whatever, Tinker Toys. And boy, did I just age myself, Tinker Toys. People are like, what is he talking about? I don't know, it sounds like a made-up word to me. But you, you sit there and you get jealous and you don't even see what you've got. He says, don't do that. When you go in the land and you sit down and you eat, you remember God's been good to you. You even have a chair to sit in. God's already been good to you. You have a house you live in. God has been good to you. And I want you to go into the land and remember that. And in verse 11 he says, be really careful. Take care. It's going to have to be a conscious effort. Remember the God who brought you there and what He did. Third thing is this. Rejoice with those who rejoice. That's what Romans 12 says. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Instead of being jealous... Start thanking God in your prayers and to their face and sincerely. You know what? I'm glad God gave that to you. I'm really excited that you got that promotion. I'm really happy for you. And if you have to bite your tongue to do it, bite your tongue. You'll get tired of biting your tongue and you'll start changing your heart. Work at it. Consciously work at it. I'm going to start being thankful for other people instead. And I'm going to see what happens. And God will work on you. And the last one is this. Trust God's timing. Let's look at this. Lamentations, chapter 3. This is like a pop quiz because people are going, I'm on Lamentations. I'm going to look into the table of contents here. But look over in the book of Lamentations. It's right after Jeremiah. And you know what? If you grab the wrong part of your Bible, you won't be after Jeremiah. Chapter 3. i got three bookmarks in this Bible, and I didn't use any of them this morning. Verses 25 and 26. This is in a book where, where Jeremiah is actually lamenting. A lot of it is really hard, sad stuff. But in the middle of it, he says this. You know what? I'm going to go back up to verse 22. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear up the yoke of his youth. It's good when we can say, you know what, God? I thought I needed that and I thought I needed it now. Maybe you know better. Maybe you know what I'd do with that that I don't need to do. Maybe you know there'd be complications I don't foresee. Maybe you know there's just a better over here you'd rather me have. Whatever it is, God, I trust you and I'm going to let you take control in this and I'm not going to be jealous of what you do for other people that you knew was best for them. I trust that if you gave them the best, you're going to bring the best to me in your time. That'll change your life. That one attitude right there will change your life. This morning, if you're ready to lay some things before the Lord that you've been carrying around that you don't need to carry around anymore, we're here to pray with you. We're here to pray for you. You can either come down here or you can go to the back and pray with one of our elders. They'll be back there to meet you. Or if you're ready to put your your self down. That sounds terrible, doesn't it? Like putting, something, putting down a, 
a dying cow. But it's kind of like that. If you're ready to put yourself down, to die to self, to die to envy, to die to dissension, to die to jealousness, and instead to rise with Christ in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. And we also give you that, that invitation and that opportunity this morning. We'll do that as we stand and as we sing.